0: You had that smoke with the
1: the wow. illest people. I mean Snoop's an automatic. Yeah. Wiz Khalifa, Mike Tyson, uh Melissa Etheridge was dope. <laughs> <laughs>
0: How you doing, ladies and gentlemen, party people? Welcome to another wonderful edition of the People's Party. We are having a good time doing this, and I hope that you are having a good time with us. Always and as usual, we have Jasmine Lee, the beautiful, the talented, wonderful Jasmine Lee in the house. What's you know up? How, I'm how you
2: doing today? What's
0: up, Jazz? How you feeling?
2: I'm chilling, living the life.
0: We have a very special guest. As always, he's a huge influence on well, not just hip hop, but on pop culture altogether. He's a rapper. He's an actor. Uh, he's an institution him, himself. He's a cultural phenomenon. Uh, they call him Dr. Green Thumb. His groups, Cypress Hill, Prophets of Rage, are some of the greatest groups in music history. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I need you to put your hands together and give it up for Be Real in the Place to Be. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> What's up, bro? Good,
2: good. How you feeling? Good.
0: Thanks for coming through. Everybody, be real is here. Yeah. Hey, be real oh, yeah. <laughs> So what's up, bro?
1: Man, just keeping busy, getting ready for uh, a couple tours coming up. One okay. with Cyprus, one with Prophets of Rage. Cyprus in mm. uh, June, July, and uh, Prophets of Rage in August. Mm. So, you know, just keeping busy on the touring you know, yeah. front.
0: Um, I was watching um, footage uh Uh, Maybe a couple of weeks ago, before we even connected on the interview, I was watching uh, Woodstock 94. Yeah. That was a hell of a show, brother. Crazy. Yeah, man.
1: You know, I I often tell people when, you know, that story comes up, you know, because they ask what's it like performing in front of that many people. Yeah, how many people was it? That was uh, close to 500,000, if not that. Wow. And that was the biggest <laughs> crowd we had performed in front of.
0: Right. They all had their place. shirts off, all of them.
1: Yeah, it was crazy. <laughs> um, it, it, you know, it was unreal. It, it was surreal to see it because, you know, like you see, you know, as you're coming up, people, you know, getting magnetized to your music, right? They come to the little clubs and they're, you know, going crazy and there's this energy, right? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, we started doing shows like um, Lollapalooza Festival plays where it's slightly bigger and outdoors and it's different energy so you know we we thought we had seen some big crowds Mm, right (laughs) and you know we weren't prepared for that one I mean I almost got motion sickness because the crowd was you know the way that the crowd was jumping to the music it looked like waves you know (sighs) but just waves of people jumping in in a different rhythm and uh, if you if you fixated on that too long you would get dizzy and you know I was just you know, like tripping on that and the fact Vertigo that- Vertigo or something. Yeah, you know, close to that. Yeah. And uh, I was tripping on the fact that that was happening and there was 500,000 people jumping around to our stuff and that knew our music. It was crazy.
0: Mm. I got a question about Prophets of Rage. First of all, um, how did it come about? Because it's such a great group. Um, and I, you know, the music is so good, but beyond the music being so good, you have a different look when you're on stage with Prophets of Rage. Right, right. Can you explain um, that?
1: well you know we started profits it was it was pretty much like uh i mean it came out of nowhere for me mm-hmm. um but it was in the in the time of our uh presidential elections mm-hmm. going on and uh burn uh the burn bernie sanders and <laughs> and uh and trump were mm-hmm. quoted as raging against the machine um in certain certain articles that came out and that ignited Tom Morello because, I mean, you know, it was a big circus up to that point. He was like, oh, we're going to show him what Raging Against the Machine really is. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he called Brad and, and Tom and said, hey, you know, I have an idea to do something right now because I think our music needs to be heard right now. And they, you know, they called Chuck and... uh After they called Chuck, they called me and they gave me the the rundown of what they wanted to do and and come out and ignite people and wake people up Mm -hmm. because, you know, the way things were going, you know, so that that's sort of what got us together. But, you know, there was that thing where like, yeah, you know, this all looks good, but how are we going to sound when we get on the stage? What's Mm -hmm. our chemistry going to be like? Mm -hmm. Is this music going to actually ignite anyone right? right in this time? You know, because since that music has, has, you know, came out so many years ago, mm-hmm. things have changed. But when we got together and we started doing the rehearsals, it was rough. But when we did the first show that night, there was just an incredible chemistry and the people went crazy for it. And in that, yeah. in that instant, we knew we had something in it. And we just decided, OK, this is going to be something we're going to work towards it and, and really you know, dive into what it is we're trying to do and, and wake people up. Talk about things mm-hmm. that that uh, no one's talking about in, in music, you know. Some people do, but it's yeah. very obscure, mm-hmm. you know, because that's not what people want to talk about because realistically they made it un unsexy and, un. Uh, you know, like there's no benefit into saying something conscious, yeah. you know, because the radio ain't going to play it. But there's so many avenues now that you can't, care if radio is going to play it you just make the content and put it out mm-hmm. and promote it as much as you can and hope that other people share it out and and get the message
0: I want to encourage people who are listening or watching to make sure that you get a chance to check out the Prophets of rage show because um you know it's something that sounds good on paper but yeah. you don't really understand it until you see it man it's yeah. like it's one of the greatest shows that I think is pl- Playing right now, and there's a lot of experience on stage. Chuck D bringing in the Public oh, yeah. Enemy vibe, and I, I, you know, I saw a show on video where it was um, on YouTube it was DJ Lord opening for y'all, like doing his, his DJ oh, yeah. thing, like so to see that real live hip hop, and then go into the rock element of it, and it's really rock and roll, it's really really a hundred percent rocking the fuck out, and then y'all go into the hip hop chambers a little bit, right. and then come back together. It's cohesive and. The experience on the stage is so, man, It's so much to see, man. I I, I was blown away.
1: Thank you. You know, we, we try to go 100 every time on stage because, I mean, you know, we all know where we came from and mm-hmm. we're all trying to live up to it, but in this group now, you right. know? And uh, also trying to do justice to to the songs that Zach Delarocho wrote mm-hmm. and his energy on Absolutely. stage. You know what I mean? Cause That was a big energy you know and and for chuck and i to split it it makes it easier for us but it's still a task but yeah because we have that experience you know public enemy who's who's been in the game for 30 years still Mm -hmm. functioning like you know doing yeah shows and and doing festivals and you know all the stuff they 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 used to do they still do to this day so there's that experience level that that uh, Lord and, and uh, Chuck bring yeah. to the table, and you know we're as Cypress Hill constantly out on tour, constantly doing shows from the club level to the mid level to the festival level. Mm-hmm. So, and the, the cool thing about what what Public Enemy and Cypress Hill have done in the history of our careers is we 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 put a time in where we brought a live band in to both separate bands, right. You know, we we actually did it, you know, before P.E. and they sort of got influenced by what they saw with us, which was cool Mm because it was constantly us influencing each other. Right. And they saw us go out with a live band, which was new for us. And, you know, some people were like, what are you guys going to do with a live band? And what we you know, what we had just put out into the market, which was Skull and Bones had Mm -hmm. half hip hop, half hybrid rap you know right hardcore alternative whatever you want to call it and so we thought you know in our shows we're going to give a piece of hip-hop and a piece of this this new style and then go back to the hip-hop and just sort of switch it out and public enemy we're we're doing something similar to that so it it sort of got chuck and i and lord ready you know to join the likes of a tom morello and and uh Mm -hmm. And Timmy C and, and yeah. Brad will because I mean, yeah. those guys are a powerhouse, and Yeah, you have to keep up with them. Yeah, Usually, everybody's keeping up with us in the reverse, your, right? Your
0: role is different in yeah. this group, very different. Yeah, um, you know, shout out to Zach De La Roca, such a powerful writer, performer, artist. Tom Morello, of course, not just both of them, not just uh, powerful artists, but when I went down to Ferguson. Um, and I called artists to come down. Tom was one of the first. One of the first artists yeah. to to get down there. You know, Tom was doing this thing with uh, with Boots to, uh, 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 yeah, street, with the coupe. yeah yeah Street Sweeper Social Club
1: yeah Street Sweeper yeah, Social Club. yeah That's club. a great that band name.
0: It. That's right. Um, but you were speaking about the live element, and um, you know, I've been going to Cypress Hill shows my whole career, like since I was a teenager, like I was going to those early Lollapalooza shows when y'all would come to New York to do like Roseanne Ballroom or The Rich or something like that. Like I was going to those shows. Were you always into rock or you grew into it as you? Oh Yeah. From day one.
1: Yeah, since before I knew what hip hop was, Mm. you know, I was, I was, uh, I I listened to all sorts of different things growing up. Um, You know, my mother was, you know, she's was Cuban, and, and so she listened to a lot of Latin music, but she also listened to a lot of what is considered classic rock, like the Beatles and stuff like mm. that. So I, I had my share of both, you know, the classic rock era mm. and the salsa music and the Latin music and stuff like that. And my father, you know, he listened to doo-wop and, and other things like that, what is considered oldies, you know. Your father's Mexican. Yeah, he is Mexican. And um, your
0: mother is, your. I read that your mother is, like, is Afro-Cuban.
1: Yeah, well, you know, we did the DNA uh-huh. deal, yeah. You know, there's a lot of African blood in, in on on her side
0: of the family. Even in mm-hmm. my father's side, surprisingly, you know. He... I I asked because so for for where I come from, right? Um, this is something that we were just me and Jazz were discussing yes. earlier. In hip hop, um, if you have a black experience or a black a brown experience, and you are in the the hood with the people, and I don't I can only speak for the East Coast growing up in New York. I know LA is very different, but when you're in the hood with the people, you as a black or brown person, whether you're born in Columbia, Puerto Rico, the Bronx, Alabama, you're saying the word nigga. Right. Cypress Hill, y'all saying the word nigga. Right. Uh, Fat Joe, big pun, Puerto Ricans in the Bronx, New York, they saying the word nigga. And when I grew up, the way I grew up, I didn't have a problem with that. It was never an issue. But I'm seeing in a newer generation, jazz is younger than me. People don't understand that Hispanic and Latino is ethnicity, not a race. Right. And that you have black Hispanic people and black Latino people. And so it's interesting to me that you have an Afro-Cuban background, but you're also a part of the first Latin group to go platinum. Right. You know. And I've heard you speak on that before and say part of it is not sort of wearing it on your sleeve, but just being who you are. Right. Um. So I wanted you to speak on that.
1: Well, you know, in the beginning when when we came into you know, our career and stuff like that, when we had got signed, we had a little bit of experience due to people that we were friends with that were in the game before us, Mm -hmm. like in in Latin artists, to be most specific, such as Mel Man Ace and Kid Frost and guys like that, right? And we saw what was going on with them that, you know, it was a a small box to be in Mm -hmm. if you got um, labeled as a Latin hip-hop group. And, you know, at the time there was really no market for Latin hip hop, you know, they didn't, labels didn't know what to do with it, you know, they, they caught a little bit of fire because they were the first out the box with it and they were sort of, you know, pioneering the way. Mm -hmm. But other rappers coming out after them, if you weren't like them, they would, you know, you would just get shelved and no one would ever hear Mm -hmm. your music, You, you weren't having any movement, so when we got signed with sony and roughhouse we didn't want to be labeled as a latin hip-hop group we just wanted to be labeled a hip-hop group Mm -hmm. let the music speak for itself who and what we are We'll speak through the music, and you know, on most of our albums, we always gave like a taste of 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 a Latin song here and right. there,
0: a Latin lingo and stuff like yeah, that.
1: Yeah, but we didn't want to exploit it, and mm-hmm. we didn't want to jam it down people's throats. You know, we just sort of wanted to be ourselves and let people experience it as we do it, and that seemed to work for us. You know what I mean? And and with all, you know all the words that we you know right. you know got a pass for using i think it, it speaks to what you said you know um on the west coast a lot of us that are of latin descent you know we grow up in neighborhoods that ain't necessarily too many latins around mm-hmm. you know so it's black and brown together in the neighborhood mm-hmm. some of us that have gang banged with you know one or the other mm-hmm. we adopt each other's language you know like it, there's a uh, Some of us that are of of Mexican descent that that are in black gangs like blood or a crip, Mm -hmm. you know You'll see some of us using the same slang same term same language And the same goes in in reverse, you know when you see a black cat that that rolled in with uh, some latins and became a part of that gang Mm -hmm. He starts sounding Mexican and he starts using the, the same terminology so It's just one of those things, and I think it happens in every neighborhood. I mean, you see white kids using the same phrases, you know, Mm -hmm. whether they hang out with Mexicans or blacks or, or, you know, And I think that's where the problem goes, too,
2: because – I grew up in Roosevelt, it was black and then Mexicans, but we didn't hang out with the Mexicans, we just hung out with the black people. So I didn't he- grow up hearing anybody besides black people saying nigga. Right. And then now I feel like because there are other Latinas and stuff that say it, white people think like, oh, we can just go ahead and say it too. Right. And that's where it's like, you know, mm, do I really want to go with that?
1: Yeah, you know, it's 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 something that you don't understand outside of of that you know those places where we live or where we once lived Mm -hmm. and where we come from Mm -hmm. and stuff like that if if you don't live there you don't understand it and you pick it up and you make the mistake of saying it thinking it's cool for me to say because they say it and then Mm -hmm. somebody checks you for it and in these days and times man nobody's getting passes because i mean you know Mm. we're living in a time where you have to check yourself right on exactly. on the things you say yeah and uh you know it's, it's it's i think it's much more sensitive now which i think is is better mm. you know you shouldn't just have you know people saying it because they heard this guy say this or that you know what i mean because their
2: friend gave them a pass right and it's like that passes when you're around your friend it, that only. that
1: pass is always earned you don't just get that pass mm-hmm. on gp you know it, it doesn't happen like that right you have to be around it. This is somewhere where you grow up and even then, you know, it's there's it's, politics in the Still and politics, yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, your real name is Louis Freeze. Right. I think that's a like that's a wonderful name. It sounds like a Batman villain. <laughs> you could have been a rapper with that name. Yeah. As well. So when did you become Be Real?
1: Oh man, uh Be Real it's pretty much at the time when I started, you know, running with the gangs. Mm-hmm. You know, I so it's a pre-hip hop, pre, pre-artist name? Yes, you yeah. know, because as you know, as a uh, someone who was into the B-boy culture and hip hop culture, you know, which was a uh, uh, which I was into first, you know, rapping and 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 you know, popping and the graffiti, that you know, that was something I was doing beforehand. So, you know, it I didn't necessarily have that name in in that time so uh-huh. when i sort of transitioned into this i sort of let go of this for a time and and went into the whole you know gangster universe right uh <laughs> the the way i got the name was <laughs> before they were just calling me Louie, you know because okay. that's you know my my, my name right. louis louis whatever right so we're going to uh to a rival neighborhood and uh you know we're going to disrespect their hood by crossing out their <laughs> names and uh-huh. writing ours on their wall called the roll call, right? Mm-hmm. You cross them out and then you put up everybody who went on that particular...
0: On that day. On, on that
1: trip. day. And they you know, one of the homies was like, hey what you want me to put up there? I'm like, Psh, I'll, you know, I'm a young buck. I'm right. like the young one in the squad, right? I don't know. We gonna put up be real hold up.
2: And wow, it and stuck with it.
1: me since that time. And, uh, you know, I don't know what made him think of Be Real, but,
0: hey. It's, it's a good stuck. name. It's stuck. It's a great name. It's a great hip-hop name, a great street name, mm-hmm. all that. I got um, lucky. I was fortunate. Mm-hmm. I've, I've read you saying that, that you said to your mother when she used to ask, You used to be in the street life, and she used to be like, something's going to happen to you. You'd be like, I, I'm, a, I'm the lucky one.
1: Yeah. You don't <laughs> always... Until, until the luck ran out well yeah you know i've I've always had this uh this balance of luck and you know <laughs> unlucky right <laughs> um but more so you know it's been leaning toward the the fortunate side um, absolutely bro. you know in the latter years right but mm-hmm. um you know the whole thing was i i chose to 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 go into the gangster shit because that's you know something appealed to me about it mm-hmm. And uh, my family sort of came from that. So I guess maybe it was something I saw right. older brothers doing, something I saw father doing that sort of made me wander off into that. Your
0: father got shot
1: 12 yeah, times. 12 times, oh. yeah.
0: Different times.
1: No, one wow. sitting. Wow. One sitting. Two different guns, one sitting. The mm. guy unloaded one gun and then got another one mm. and uh, unloaded that one. And he lived through that. It was incredible that he was able to to live through that he was a big guy you know he he was overweight Mm -hmm. but he didn't smoke or drink or anything like that his vice was food but being hefty like that sort of saved wow saved his uh saved his life but seeing that seeing my brother something appealed to me about it you know and i totally went left because most most of them were like how you know you should be in a latin gang what are you Mm. doing and uh, you know, I just went my way, and uh, I wouldn't change it because it opened my eyes to a lot of things.
0: Now you got shot as well, right? Yeah. Wow. Can you yeah. talk about that?
1: Yeah, you know, um, in the in the height of my days, you know, in in mm-hmm. the gangster universe, you mm-hmm. know, we we'd go out and not care where we were at, and and uh, you know, regardless of the consequences, mm-hmm. and we were in a rival neighborhood that uh, was. At it was shared with another blood neighborhood because I, you, I gang banged with the Bloods, mm-hmm. and uh, we were hanging out in another blood neighborhood whose rivals were yeah, I'm not gonna say it because mm-hmm. I know a couple of them homies now oh. right, right, and right. we cool and stuff like that. Right. Uh, and I don't want to, you know, make. Shit, funny, you know. Right. Next no, time that's... I see him, but you know, it was a rival, you know, Crip neighborhood to the Blood neighborhood that we were in at that time, and and we get into this thing while we walk up on a corner with some dudes in a car. We start throwing up the signs. They pull out, you know, they pull out the wop wop. Mm-hmm. You know, they they hit one of uh, one of my guys in in his elbow, and then you know they hit me in the back, kind of through the side, punctured my lung, you know. Right. I was you, down for a couple weeks. You
0: were blessed and highly favored.
1: I was very blessed. See, I was unlucky, but lucky,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, and lucky that my friends found me around that corner where I had fell out because my lung, you know, my lung had punctured. So I wasn't right. able to breathe properly. So it, it you know, caused me to f- fall to the ground and they found me. They took me to the Killer King Hospital, as mm-hmm. we call it here. Yeah, I've
0: heard about that.
1: And, uh, you know, I was I was lucky to get out of there because, I mean, you know, people had went in there for less and never come out. Yeah. You know, and uh, it was one of those things. I mean, you know, I knew what it was. I was banging. And that's one of the things you accept. You're either going to go to jail. You're going to get shot. You're going to get killed. It's, you know, very few paths. Right. That that uh, that you take in that. And, uh, you know, some of us are very accepting of what our fate might be because of that and at the time you know I was hard-headed and I was stubborn and you know I psh, I was down from my set and mm-hmm. you know it it didn't knock me out of the game I thought okay they're going to have to just try again right it kind of made you go harder as an artist it's 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 what happens you know when you live through 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 a gunshot, yeah. you know what I'm saying, whether it's one time or multiple times or whatever, you know, we're, we are the lucky, for a time we feel invincible, you yeah. know what I mean, and, and, uh, but fortunately what got me out of that was DJ Muggs, Send Dog, and Mellow Man Ace, they had yeah. stuck with what our hobby was, which was doing music and stuff like that, and they had got in certain places, and they'd come back for me which they didn't have to but right. they, but they did right they they saw something in my writing and and you know we were homies you know and they didn't want me to be living that life mm. you know in spite of me fighting them on right. every aspect of it you know because they tried to you know talk me back into going music for a time right that's and a I was, beautiful story and i was resistant and finally they caught me at a time where you know a lot of my homies in the circle of of my set because you know When you're from a neighborhood, there's cliques within a Uh clique. A lot of my guys were locked up, so I was pretty much, you know, out there with, you know, not too much of my homies watching my back from my set. So I thought, all right, let me try this music thing. I mean, what? You know what's the worst that can happen
2: right? I have a quick question uh did you and your father ever compare like gunshots since he got twelve and you got one?
1: No, no, but i I know he was like, probably oh, that ain't shit try <laughs> <laughs> try, try eleven more <laughs> or whatever it was. I think it was uh yeah, it was twelve shots because both both guns were like six shooters, they had six bullets in them, yeah, crazy
0: so your voice i'm sure you've been asked about it a lot of times yes. you have one of the most unique distinct voices in the game obviously your pen skills is ill you know what i'm saying like you are as an mc as a writer and not just as a writer of bars and and verses but as a songwriter thank you you've written some incredible pieces of music but your voice is so unique was it always like that
1: no okay it wasn't always like that um you know i i tried rapping in the voice that I, that i talk in you know, my regular voice mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, the rhymes are cool, but it didn't cut through on the music so well, you know, and Muggs is very straightforward and honest.
0: Yeah, Muggs is, sense. I, I work with him on a couple of things. The idea that, I want to get back to the voice thing, yeah. but you just made me think about the idea that Cypress Hill was essentially a concept record. Yeah. And he has always thought about it on a bigger scale than a lot of producers oh, yeah. and DJs. He's
1: al- he always has the... the the landscape of what it should be mm-hmm. in his head and then it's the journey trying to get there right mm-hmm. and you know he's brutally honest if he doesn't like something he's gonna be like "It's all right, but it's not that shit right I think you could do it again right and so you know he with my voice you know with regards to my voice and how it sounded on the tracks he was like you know I don't, I don't know mm. you're gonna have to do something otherwise maybe you just write for sin <laughs> <laughs> and i was like all right cool <laughs> um so one day uh mellow and i were, were uh fucking around throwing rhymes back and forth but you know we were all of us big fans of uh this this uh rapper named ram Z. was also yeah. an artist wild style yeah all that and you know he used to have two different styles his talking voice style which was on a, a lower register like what i'm talking in now and then he would do this crazy high-pitched Switch in the middle of his verse mm-hmm. and so one day, you know throwing rhymes back and forth We decide we're gonna fuck around and, and right, do, okay. do the same thing and, and pitch our voices up So this
0: is like a direct influence.
1: Yes a direct influence mm-hmm. so I pitched my voice up on a song called real estate, which was one of our first demos and uh, Muggs liked the tone of of the voice mm-hmm. so he has me redo another song we had already done in that voice which ended up being Man. right? And then it it just started rolling from there. And then Sin Dog develops the ve- the beta voice, which is that right. that that voice to go along with that high high pitched voice. You know, and so we use sort of mm. two or three different styles of vocal tones throughout our career. And I and I would change pitches, you know, in the later records, but you know, in in the beginning, yeah, it was uh, trying to be as up. On the register as you can, right? So that it, it just cuts through every track, sort of like the Beastie Boys were cutting.
0: Yeah, through every yeah, track. yeah. It's very ad rock and very yeah. Uh, definitely, definitely, definitely. Um, you are of course are very famous for smoking marijuana, <laughs> and being not just smoking it, but being an activist and being right. fully involved yeah. in the whole movement. Um, which I want to talk about some. But before we talk about that, I want to know who is like your all all star team of like the best people you smoke with? Because you had to have smoke with the
1: the wow. illest people. Um, I'm gonna say, I mean, Snoop's an automatic. Yeah. Wiz Khalifa, Mike Tyson, uh, Matt Barnes was was really oh. dope. Joe Rogan. Okay. Uh, Melissa Etheridge was dope. She told a great story, man, uh, Um, you know. She got caught coming across the border with some yeah. trees. <laughs> and, and she owns, she owns, uh, um, a cannabis collective okay up north somewhere so she's in the game she's in the game and it was awesome to, to to hear her story on why she's in the game you know like she told the story about how you know she had a she had a, a bout with cancer mm-hmm. and um, Steven Stills or David Crosby from Crosby Stills and Nash uh, told her hey you know instead of taking all this o- over-the-counter pharmaceutical crap that they're mm-hmm. always trying to pump to people why don't you try CBDs and cannabis as your treatment, as opposed to that shit that's going to make you sicker? Right. And she gave it a shot, you know. And uh, before you know it, she she it helped her deal with her her therapy and all the stuff that she had to do. And she beat it. Mm-hmm. And uh, she came into a, into the smoke box to tell that story. She had never gotten high in front of a camera before. Mm and never allowed people to see her in this this way but she felt it was important for people to hear that story and she actually had her people call me to say hey you know melissa wants to get in the box it was like (laughs) you know it was one of the biggest surprises ever to me because i mean it wasn't somebody who i would normally go after because i didn't think that you know she'd be open to. Come in and, and do an interview, right? In front of a in front of a camera, smoking, you right. know, in the low rider, in the low rider, you know, <laughs> just you know, a lot of people are afraid because they they're they're
0: they're afraid about the way they're gonna look or come mm-hmm. off. So know? Cypress Hill, and by extension, you were so huge, it's so huge. Um, you talk about how some opportunities weren't available to y'all because y'all were so pro-marijuana. Right. Um, I remember watching y'all on Saturday Night Live.
1: Oh, well, you know, we had a plan. <laughs> uh-huh. What was the plan? We had it planned, right? Oh, and you planned it, okay. It, did, it didn't It didn't go as planned, but it, it had the same effect, right? right? So what was supposed to happen was, um, I think it was, we ain't going out where, where we do this because we performed insane first and then mm-hmm. we ain't going out came second. And what was supposed to happen is in the last verse, you know, when we were getting close to the chorus, you mm-hmm. know, the DJ was supposed to start smashing the turntables. He was supposed to undo the turntables and start smashing them like, like The Who mm-hmm. used to smash their yeah. equipment at the end of the set because we were doing that for a time and lighting our shit on fire. So mm-hmm. we wanted to do something similar on Saturday Night Live. And he choked up. Ah. Oh. But the thing was, is that we, you know, after we were, you know, to 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 smash the set, we were gonna light our joints up, right there while the set was smashed up, in, right. And you know, the wake of a smashed set, we're <laughs> right. blazing, right. But uh, because you know, dude, uh, dude was kind of nervous up there. Mugs, sort of. Uh, he just said, "Fuck it," and he, he pulled out <laughs> the joint first.
0: Right. I and, saw that. And
1: wow. and uh, you know, they said we couldn't light our joint right. going out like that. And then later on, you know, dude doesn't do the, the thing and so Muggs pushes over um oh Bobo's God. percussions and uh-huh. stuff to make it look like we're starting to smash shit up. Right. It was total, it was a total fuck up on <laughs> on what we were trying to do, but Muggs getting that that, that first, you know, few seconds of the song where he lights that joint, that got us banned forever. But it also added to our legend. You it know? did. No go it,
2: down in history as being banned from SNL. Yeah, no, that's
1: like radical marijuana activism. Yeah, and we're one of the ten groups that are a permanent ban. Oh, Rage that's is on that Rage <laughs> list. Rage Against the Machine, <laughs> Rage, is, Rage Sinead, Against the Machine. Uh, Sinead O'Connor. Sinead, yep. Yeah.
2: So what did you guys do during the sound check? Did, what did they think you were going to do for your performance?
1: Well, we just did a regular sound check, you know. <laughs> we didn't give up any indication that we were going to be lighting one up or that we were going to try to smash our set, you know. but um, uh,
0: Bobo, Eric Bobo, that's the son of Willie Bobo, right? Yes, yes. I love what he asked the y'all stage show, man. Um, you know, a stage show, especially y'all dominate the festivals. I mean, like you said, you can do any stage, a small small room, big festival, but that latin funk that he's bringing yeah. to the set plus the props is there y'all got the props y'all got like a bunch of things going on but i really i'm a huge fan of what he's brought to the set
1: yeah i mean early on um we used to uh well when we were opening for the beastie boys we met bobo mm-hmm. on, shout on out that... to the beastie boys yes, too yes shout out to the beastie boys we were we were doing a tour with uh the beasties and henry rollins and we were opening up uh, he's one of my favorites henry yeah, he's, rollins he's ill yeah he's man great dude too yeah and, uh, you know, so we started, you know, we were hanging out with, you know, people from every band, you know, and uh, Bobo ended up hanging out with us. He started riding on our bus and mm-hmm. we developed a chemistry and friendship with Bobo. And, and we were like, hey, you know, Sendog's idea was why don't we call him and ask him to play with us when he's not playing with the Beasties. Mm-hmm. And we had uh, this, these, this gig at Al Camino College, and that was the one he did with us first. And we just felt like, wow, this adds a whole different dimension that's not on the record. So, Mm -hmm. like, if you come to see us, you're going to hear what you heard on the record. But now here's this new element that's just going to, you know, take it to another level in the live arena. Yeah. And, uh, you know, because he was a student of the game in terms of hip hop and not just Latin music, because I think a lot of conga players that tried to sort of do what he has done, they're so locked into what they were doing Mm -hmm. previously that they don't necessarily find the same pockets as as he plays
0: in. Yeah, hip hop be out of key sometimes, like the way the beats are made it's very hard for musicians to fall into the hip hop sound.
1: They overplay. Yeah. And and, uh, you know, Bobo, to his credit, he always found a way to play just the right shit in the right spaces and never overplay and always add instead of like making it seem chaotic. Right. Because, you know, some people will just to hear themselves play. They're going to add something that doesn't necessarily belong in this particular section. Mm -hmm. It doesn't add anything. It just sort of adds a noise. You know, where Bobo, he's always in in tuned with what's going on and locked in. And he actually adds, you know, a, a flavor to it. And, you know, I couldn't see us doing a show without him at this point point, mm. you know like he's been with the band over 20 years mm-hmm. he is a member of the band yeah, officially but like let's just say we stripped it down and just uh did turntables in in the mcs mm-hmm. i mean i would feel like we're Something's cheating missing. the fans and we're cheating ourselves <laughs> because i mean he
0: adds so much right um that's man that's a it's a beautiful story man i i really enjoy hearing him play um with the marijuana activism, did you start out as a stoner who just like in high and just was thrusted <laughs> to being a marijuana activist, or was that the plan? I think
1: it was a little bit of both, actually. You know, I mean, we were fans of High Times, you know, before we were making music. As, as so, you were reading literature. Still, yeah, little things like that on 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 cannabis and stuff like that, because you know we you know we wanted to see what was in high times. Like, we wanted to say, okay, yeah. what are people smoking?
0: It was so counterculture, too, at that time. It was yeah. like you had to, like, had a secret high times magazine.
1: Yeah. For me, I was a teenager. It was al- like, as a teenager, it's almost like having a Playboy yeah. with your parents <laughs> find out, like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. Right? So, you know, you kind of had to be on the low with that. But, you know, we obviously wanted to see what weed was out in the world, mm. you know, and out there just period. But, you know, occasionally they would have articles that were, like, you know, educational in yeah. terms of the politics that were going on and the propaganda against cannabis and, and, and that, you know. So, you know, we were kind of loosely activists mm. then, you know, more stoners, obviously, mm. but we believed it should have been legalized and, you know, we right. believed that one day it could. Um, I don't think we intended to be the spokesman for it. It was just one mm. of those things where we were being ourselves and talking about who we were what we were doing what our experiences were and that happened to be you know one of one of the things in our daily life that we did we were smoking weed like fucking monsters and
0: yeah i've heard mm-hmm. you describe the group as a marijuana group and i suppose i never thought about it like that but there are certain groups that fit into like the mar- marijuana group and oh,
1: yeah we got labeled as that for mm-hmm. a long time and that you know spoke to you know speaks to um what you were saying earlier in terms of, uh, you know, opportunities, you know, missed because of mm-hmm. being labeled as the marijuana group as opposed to Cypress Hill, a the hip hop group, group, right. music group, period, you know, and we had to remind people at, at times, you know, especially in interviews with with, uh, you know, journalists overseas or, or wherever. It's like, you know, they're calling us a cannabis group. Said, hey, wait a minute. You know, there's one or two cannabis songs on these albums, the rest are songs. Mm -hmm. You know, we're Mm -hmm. a hip hop group, we're a music group before we are a a cannabis group. Get that shit right. Right. And, you know, I think our fans respect that, but we weren't having it from the media and and whatnot, labeling us as that. That's just like saying,
0: oh, this is a Latin hip hop. It's like me with the conscious thing. Like, it's like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm that. I don't run from it, I own it. Right. But please don't put me in a box. Yeah, America I think loves that,
2: putting people in boxes yeah. and labels. Yeah,
1: and you know we we always were were fighting to not be in a box. Mm-hmm. We didn't want to be in the Latin rapper box. We didn't want to be in the fucking weed rapper box. Mm-hmm. But you know these days you got it's it's like the funny the funny shit about it now is that the way that. Hip-hop, you know, maybe 10 years ago, you had to have a song about, like, some gangster shit and getting shot and this and that mm-hmm. for people to accept you. Now it's the weed songs. You gotta yeah. have something to smoke with e- Everybody gotta have a weed song on their shit. And it's it's funny how that goes around. You know, people that don't even smoke talking about weed songs. Right.
2: But music is a big part of smoking culture because more times than not, everyone's sitting around sharing a blunt oh, yeah. listening to music, talking about, you know, whatever high thoughts come up.
1: Yeah, I mean it's 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 communal, you know, and it's it's an exchange of ideas and conversation, and and uh, sometimes those conversations are about nothing, mm-hmm. but <laughs> right, a lot of times, a whole but, lot of nothing. But you're but you're connecting with people, and that's the bond right yeah. there. That's why I,
0: I describe myself as a pot smoker. Like from the '70s, because for me it's all about the communion. Oh right. you, yeah, know, so like I I, you, you know, like I, you know, we. I'm a rapper. Obviously, I have privilege. I have access to some of the greatest weed on earth,
2: mm-hmm. and right.
0: I certainly partake sometimes. But I'll, you know, to me it's about. Now it's like for me, and maybe I'm just getting too old. But with all the contraptions and it's and all basically the,
2: much the wax. For me, like
0: the... like that's just me. I know that I know that this man is a is like a connoisseur. You know what I'm saying? Like
2: In the
0: dad. You know st- all of it. I try to stay
1: up. On, yeah. on on game. Yeah, you know <laughs> all of it. People try to test me, so, you know, I got <laughs> to stay relatively... The dabs try to take you out. Yeah. 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 The dabs
2: try to take I, you out.
1: I have had guys try to take me out on the dabs, you know, because, oh, here goes Mr. Green, Dr. Green, the Stoner <laughs> King, whatever. Right. And, yeah, I've had times where... You know, people would try to, you know, outsmoke me like that. I'm like, they test the rocket launcher. It's like, man, it's not a competition, you right? Know? We're just getting high. We're just getting high. You don't gotta, you know, try to knock me out the box. One, <laughs> it ain't gonna happen. You're gonna right. knock yourself out the box before you knock me out, right?
2: It's so funny, I was talking to a friend the other day, and I was like, um, in college we really thought we were smoking, and it was just Reggie, like, we be smoking 10, 12 blunts a day and not get high.
0: Right. And then you
2: moved to California, and oh, you yeah. tried a piece of a blunt, and you're like, oh, That's this is what we supposed East to That's a East Coast
0: experience. I remember Greg Nice, I was at D&D Studios working with John Forte, and this was pre raucous. you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. We was working with like Funkmaster Flex, he, had, oh. he was on the B-side of Six Million Ways to Die. Yeah, and um, Greg Nice landed and came straight to D&D, and he said, I got some of that Cali Chronic. Mm. And he rolled it up, and we had just heard about it in rap songs. And this is the first time I ever met Greg Nice. I'm, I was a teenager, I was like 17, 18 years old. Wow! And he was like, Oh, well, some here, young buck, take this. And he gave me like a nug, some, I'd never seen like lime green weed in my life mm-hmm. growing up in New York. All of it was brown. Yeah at that time. You trash. Know? Yeah, trash. We thought it was chocolate because <laughs> that's what they told us we went to the Little Bodega to buy it. Mm-hmm. But it probably was like, I don't know what it was. But I went back and I shared it. It's like I opened up a box. I was like, I got the chronic.
1: <laughs> it's like the it's it it's like, like a, it a made soundtrack. that noise that oh. Yeah,
0: that's exactly what it was. I, man.
1: I gotta tell you, man, um it's 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 pretty much Good weed is everywhere, especially these days. Like mm-hmm. go most places, you'll find good weed. It may be not be in abundance like here in California or Colorado or or, mm-hmm. or, or any of the, the states like that that are like openly legal and and mm-hmm. all that. But you can, if you know the right people, you can always find the right the right shit. Right, and because we were known as the Weed Group, right? Right, there was there was a couple good perks to having that label right <laughs> um whenever we were in new york we we would have like cats trying to put us on to some of the best shit right and i remember you know in the early the earliest of days when that shit was real hard to get mm-hmm. you know i used to hang with the brand newbians and they would take us they, they would pick us up it's in just, the I was and just like,
2: my father played them <laughs> on the regular basis yeah, every saturday those are my McLean. boys
1: yeah. uh uh, uh, uh uh, Sadat X and, and Lord Tomorrow, J, right. my boys, right? Mm-hmm. So they'd pick me up, you know, w- once they found out I'd, you know, they'd pick me up and we'd go off to New Rochelle, where they're from, right? Mm-hmm. And, rule. Rule. and um But before we would go out there, we would stop in Harlem to buy some Afghani on 120 something, probably 125, right?
0: Right. I think it's 123rd. 123rd. Yeah
1: in these in these uh these buildings that look like people lived in them but mm-hmm. they didn't really live they were gutted right mm-hmm. and when you walk through the right. first door the original you know, traps yeah the original trap <laughs> it's blocked off with the little slot yeah and you give your you know twenty dollars they give you that afghani sack and boom but it was such a small amount yeah for so much money but it was the flavor yeah um yeah, I mean, it It was... After hard
0: 9-11, it was hard to get some of that flavors in New York.
1: Well I bet. Yeah. Yeah, because... Things I mean, change after
0: 9-11. I still 9/11.
2: can't find good weed in New York. I just bring mine from L.A. Mm.
0: That's a good move.
2: <laughs> I hate to... <laughs> I, I,
0: I, was in, I was in Denver a couple of weeks ago, and um, I had to get to Fort Collins or Boulder or something, but I was like, I don't... I don't know anybody right now. I wanna just I was like, I'm sure I could find a dispensary and just walk in. Right. And I was like, I was like, uh, I found a dispensary that was next door to the gas station. Right. And it was so easy and I got really good weed and I was like amazed at how people are like caking up on it. Oh yeah. But the black and brown people are locked out of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, it's hard for us. To even get into those spaces, when uh, we took the risk, our communities took the risk.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, they 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 have this uh, thing called social equity, mm-hmm. right? Which means if you're uh, an offender, mm-hmm. you know, where you've 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 uh, been convicted of a cannabis sort of related crime, mm-hmm. it's supposed to put you in the front of the line, mm-hmm. and and for most it does. But you know, and that's a lot of black and brown people that you know can apply and actually you know, get some of these licenses. But the problem is is that a lot of us can't afford those. And, mm-hmm. and uh, when we try to you know, come into the scenario, we usually come in by ourselves, independent, with not much financial backing. And they make it very hard for us to exist in that market because mm-hmm. of you know, what it costs to actually invest in, the, in, in becoming a cannabis brand or company. Mm-hmm. you know and uh supposedly you know the system is is that a- at some point if you can't afford that permit they they have a backup fund that pays for it for you because they want these permits working but the problem is even if they give you that you still have to have the capital to actually start the business so mm-hmm. you know my advice to to any you know black and brown person trying to get in the game There's a lot of people that are are operating sort of the same way that, you know, the corporate structure does, where the corporate is a collective of people with a lot of money, obviously. And they move all their money pretty much together. Mm -hmm. So what a lot of people are doing now is they're they're partnering up with... with, uh, with people that want to invest in the cannabis game, but they're all investing together and going Mm. in as one. And Mm. that's what our folks need to do. We need to fucking get together. Collective
0: and and cooperative economics. Yes.
1: Because
2: all of these dispensaries, it's like gentrification. It's like a a grocery store. And it's like, why are only white people owning these? And Mm. then I know at one point uh, down the street from my house, I feel like they snitched on one of the black-owned uh, wheat places, and the next thing you know, it was a white-owned one the yeah. next day.
1: Yeah, I mean, they're not making it easier for us, you know, but that's, that's why I say, you know, we have to sort of unify our money and sort of move together in that business, mm-hmm. you know, to have a presence there because they're not going to make it easier for us. They've made it easy for the corporate structure to get in. It's just that some people have figured out, you know, how the corporations move. So if if you have investment capital and she has investment capital and he doesn't, I do, I come to you and say, hey, listen, this is our business plan in the cannabis lane. This is how much we need to raise to actually do this. Mm-hmm. Are you in? Let's move together. This, you know, this will be our collective. And a lot of people have done that and actually have have gained some success without any outside financials without any corporate mm. you know backing anything like that and so it's it's just a matter of people you know approaching the right people mm. in our within our community and saying hey let's move in this together like you see a lot of athletes are now getting into the cannabis right. sector you know I
0: definitely want to get into this because I, I what you just said about the unity was very important right. uh Black and brown unity takes on a different scope in the L.A. thing, right? right. But nationally we see Trump, of course, started his campaign with Mexicans and rapists, right. ended his campaign with the bad hombres. Right. Um, right now we're leading up to a new election year in 2020, and we see actively online, just like we saw in 2016, a push to separate black and brown people. You have a push in, the, in my community, in black community, to be pro, anti-immigration. Um, with the current immigration system, do you feel like we need reform or what do you, what do you feel like is good about immigration right now and what could be better?
1: Well, you know, um, this is the land of opportunity. So people want to come here when, when, uh, it's not so great in other countries. And mm-hmm. there's a lot of horrible things happening in other parts of the world, which is why the influx of people coming here Yeah, and we're built off of, off a nation of immigrants mm-hmm. and it's you know we have to figure out something where we can get these people the help they need and get them in here you know obviously there's some things that need to be done so that uh, everybody's happy but you can never please everyone obviously but i mean it's it's ridiculous you know the way that they're they're treating some of these people and 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 holding them and and now that the deaths of some of these children yeah well, in custody. I mean, it's it's fucking ridiculous that we need to do something about it. But, um, it's 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 crazy that, you know, in this day and time, our politicians are not being held accountable. Not you know, everybody's blaming just the Trump administration, mm-hmm. but it's all these politicians. Yeah, you know, community
0: and, politics is yeah, it, and elections is very important. Yeah,
1: and and realistically, you know, I was I was listening to uh. <laughs> An interview that uh, that um, Howard Stern gave, and it was oh, uh, he's from Roosevelt. Yeah, and it was about yeah, yeah. right. I'm from Roosevelt. Yeah, and uh, you know he was he was talking about Donald Trump, mm-hmm. what who we call 45. We don't mm-hmm. even call him president or anything, right. yeah. but um, as prophets of rage anyway. I understand. And um, I'm on code right. <laughs> and uh, his 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 belief was that that dude didn't even want to be a, 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 the president. It was uh, it was. Um, you know, a publicity stunt gone horribly right, wrong. Right to get back
0: at NBC. Yeah, yeah.
1: It it went horribly wrong, but you know it went horribly right for him. Right. And you know he was talking about uh, he doesn't even really want to be there because he wants to be liked. He's a dude who wants to be complimented all the time on right. the great jobs he does, right? Supposedly. And the fact is that he's under fire from half the country or more than half the country. It, you know, mm-hmm. it, it, he may not show it, but it's right. eating him up right. from the inside. But at the same time, he's allowing, you know, all this, this craziness to happen when, you know, he has the power to change whatever he needs to change, Right. but he won't. So no, it's up won't. to people. He peop- built like that. It's up to people to go out there and get him out via the vote. But even then, you know, people question because of the electoral votes and, and yeah. they feel that that's a scheme to sway any election in the in the way that the the so-called deep state wants it to go.
2: Yeah. But that still comes from voting because we're voting the people in that are going to be in charge of electoral yeah, votes. Yeah, but who
1: are in charge of those electoral votes.
0: Yeah, the electoral college, I believe, does need to go. Yeah. Um, I'm somebody who used to speak out against voting all the time, so I never shame anybody yeah. for not voting. And I also understand that voting in and itself is not a revolutionary act. No. Um, but I do think that we can learn from the people who uh, like Malcolm X and Adam Clayton Powell and, um, you know, the people out in California when they organize the workers to get together. If you if you vote as a block, you know, um, Cesar Chavez. Right. If you organize the people and you're voting for the same interests, then you're really, really doing something.
1: It's about organizing the people. Tom Morello said this in an interview one time. I remember when they they we were doing something for for one of the news outlets but he was saying you know hey listen it's about unifying it's about organizing and you know collectively figuring out what we want and making that change you know the the, the women's rights mm-hmm. you know that was women organizing together and fighting for those rights and they convinced everyone else that they should have these rights. And we all agreed with that. And, mm-hmm. and that was due to them going through the bumps and bruises together, you know, and mm-hmm. and making that argument and winning that. And, you know, and that's people changing through unification. You know, no one could have done it by themselves. No one woman could have, like, convinced everyone of this. Right. Mm-hmm. It was them right. collectively getting right. together and changing how the world thought. And that's gonna take the same type of effort, you know, if people want real changes. Mm-hmm. We gotta, you know, get past all the, all of our hangups that we have with one another and figure out a way to come to the table together and get things done that these politicians have totally, you know. That's right. Fucked we, up for we the heroes
0: we looking for, right? Yeah. No doubt.
2: Be the change you wanna see. That's exactly. right.
0: I am looking forward to seeing Cypress Hill this summer. Mm-hmm. Ladies yes. and gentlemen, B Rail is in the house.
1: Thank you very much.